Welcome to Swift Unscripted. These Swift podcasts give you, the listener, the opportunity to hear the inside story and be part of the conversation about all means all with leaders in the field of inclusive education and school-wide transformation. Here we are at the SWIFT headquarters at the University of Kansas, and we're recording a live podcast on the topic of promoting inclusive education through family engagement. Our guest today is Deborah Jennings. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you today and to have this opportunity to share with your listeners how important it is to engage families in order to achieve all means all. Oh, thank you, Deborah. We're so glad you're here. Um, Deborah Jennings, she is the executive co-director of the Statewide Parent Advocacy Network, uh, which is a swift partner organization committed to working with parents and professionals to attain the educational rights of all children and supporting them to be fully participating, welcomed, contributing members of their schools, and their communities. Among Deborah's many roles, she's the founder of Concerned African American Parents, has served as a school board member, numerous uh, governor-appointed committees in New Jersey, and she directs New Jersey's statewide technical assistance resources team, which provides technical assistance and supports to parents in their local community. Again, welcome, Deborah. Uh, We're so glad you're with us today. So to get us started, Could you give us a little historical perspective? How did you become interested in these issues? So my story starts, of course, as many parents with my own child who um, was attending school and was a struggling reader early on and fortunately was at uh, the beginning of the second grade. Um, The teacher recognized that there was a challenge there and she said, you know, Deborah. I think she could really benefit from some additional support. And so she was taken into a class where she, with a couple of other students, for a few minutes every day, were really working on some some of the basic skills around reading, phonemic awareness and word recognition. And within a really short period, she was right there and she was right on target with grade level. Uh, The next year, she went to a different school and... For some reason, and I'm not really clear, she was placed in a basic skills class, Mm. which where I visited the basic skills class and learned that they were they were starting her at pre-reading skills, no assessment of where she, no determinations of what her needs are and where should she go, and so that started me with figuring out, okay, what's going on in these schools. And how does it look? And this is an integrated school district. And why is it seen that mostly African-American kids are in these programs that are not really addressing real needs with real strategies? Um, with that in mind and, and starting to look at the data, myself and a number of other parents got together and started a group concerned African-American parents, which was really about disproportionality. Uh, overrepresentation in special education and underrepresentation in the high honors and AP courses. Um, over our time together, we were able to make some really major changes in the district, and it was primarily by engaging and informing parents about what's happening and really encouraging the district to be much more transparent about what the data is and what they're doing about the data. 
And starting there is where we then were able to take off. And um, after a few years, I had the opportunity to join uh, the SPAN team and to really work on some of these issues at a statewide level. Okay, so let me just go back in time. Um, is it, were you in this field to begin with before you recognized that your, your daughter might need some additional supports in, the, in school? I mean, did you start out in this field? Uh, no, I started out as a um, real estate uh, finance person. Uh, I was in real estate and construction lending and really excited about things like architecture and um, management of properties. And then and that was my field. And then when my kids were born, I was a, a real estate agent. Wow. So you made a total career shift and now devote your career to making sure that all kids get the supports that they need in in their neighborhood schools. Yeah. And and, work, I, I, and supporting other families to make sure that yeah. it's it's beyond a career. It's really a passion. I'd say now that um, I do now for peanuts what I used to do for free and it was <laughs> and I'm happy to do it in both ways. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, um, we're so happy you're part of the SWIFT team. Um, so what are, you work with a lot of parents. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the focus of your work, is supporting families. What are some of the common challenges you hear from families in their efforts to make sure that their own kids have the highest quality education and the supports they need? Well, I- with we work a lot. I work a lot with uh, parent leaders and parent organizations, and in that work, the some of the greatest challenges that our parent leaders are finding is that many of the schools and school districts uh, are not really prepared to engage parents as partners and engage parents in decision making processes to provide parents with that information that they really need to know about how well their schools are doing and to have parents to be part of the solution. And so what we find is that um, parents are still often considered to be um, outsiders and sometimes considered to be more part of the problem than part of the solution. And so when we're working with parents, you know, it starts out with around their individual children and learning how to be able to communicate effectively and to bring about um, conflict resolution with school districts and school personnel. And then moving into, well, if it's a challenge with my individual child, is it something that's systemic? And really finding out how we can work with districts and schools around systemic issues. Um, the systems piece is really a big focus for us and really getting parents to be a part of that systems change. Uh, that's where I started in SPAN, and that's where that's been my focus since I've been there. So how do you, how do you get parents involved? What are some of the strategies that you use? Um, how, what are some examples of uh, how you might... I mean, I, I'm assuming you can't just get a parent, get, support parents to be involved from the parent perspective, but you're, you must also be working with, with school communities to help them to understand the value of parent involvement. Mm-hmm. Am I correct in that? Yes. So we, we uh, 
we work from both, essentially both um, areas. Um, starting with parents, um, we have, um, we're working a lot in terms of helping parents to recognize and to, to develop their leadership and partnership skills. And um, in fact, right now, we're working with a group of parents of children in, uh, who are birth to eight who are working around how are we going to look at the systems that are serving our young children and their families and how can we look at what's going on and look at where the gaps are and what needs to happen. And one of the, one of the, a couple of the tools that we're using for that is um, a, a curriculum with modules called Serving on Groups, and it's uh, online, servingongroups.org. Servingongroups.org. Our yes. listeners, did you all get that? <laughs> Make sure, write it down, check yeah. it out. And it's, a, it's an excellent um, process and includes a lot of resources on what do we need to know as parents and really all um, stakeholders in the different systems that serve children and families. What do we need to know in order to really be effective as being, in terms of being partners and working on groups uh, where, that are making decisions about what happens in schools, what happens in child welfare systems, what happens in early learning and education. And it's, a, it's wonderful to see how the work over a period of four months, six months, and eight months really turns the light on for parents to see how they can really achieve um, change in their communities. Um, we, have, we have parents now who, when they walked into the door uh, about a year and a half ago, were they just came because they were curious and wanted to know what was going on and didn't really think that they were going to be parent leaders but thought, well, I'm just going to get some information that I can, that's going to help me with my individual child. And when we now when we call on folks because there's something that's going on, we have parents who are feel are willing and feel competent and confident in actually providing testimony before state committees and before the legislative uh, the legislature about what it is that they really need to have in place for their children and these are parents of young children they are grandparents who are primary caregivers of young children and who are have you know, gotten that passion and commitment and understanding that they are the people that can make the change that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a great program. Thank you for uh, filling us in about that. And so you also mentioned that part of your role is working with school communities. Do you work with school administrators, policymakers, school boards, state departments of education? So we work with all of those entities. All right. Um, and um, <laughs> some of the things that we're doing with local school districts is to help school districts to form uh, special education parent advisory groups. And these groups, which are um, in New Jersey and a number of other states, uh, requires uh, special education parent advisory councils lo at the local level. Um, these are groups where parents are together with administrators looking at what's going on in their education systems that related to, particularly related to children with disabilities, and looking at, well, what do we need to do in order to move forward and to improve outcomes for our children? 
Um, so when working with these districts, you know, we first start out with a lot of the information that's essential, which is um, how, what do you think should be happening in terms of engaging parents? Who are the parents who are already engaged? And more importantly, who are the parents who are not engaged that we really want to make sure are a part of these decisions? Uh, we are we particularly have a focus on making sure that parents and caregivers from culturally and linguistically diverse uh, families are a part of it. And so we have we, we do a lot of work with districts around that cultural competence, around how to work with um, cultural brokers. Often the, your cultural liaisons and cultural brokers are families who are in the school. And what are some of the sort of context and climate um, changes that you need to make in order to really support the participation of parents um, in these special education parent advisory groups? Another question is, how would a school invite your support to come in and kind of guide them in areas, in these areas? So we we have a, a team of uh, parent leaders who are on the ground, and they're actually going to school districts and schools and letting them know how we can help them. You know, first of all, starting with what the what are the so many benefits of engaging parents in all the different ways, mm-hmm. um, and how parent involvement can help to improve student outcomes, but also parent involvement can help schools in terms of making sure that schools have some of the things that they need around uh, facilities, around services and supports, uh, around community connections and liaisons, how parents can bring those to bear. And so with their understanding of the benefits, um, then they are much more open Mm -hmm, to having us to become a part of, uh, to come and work with them. Well, um, and as you know, it's um, uh, parent and community engagement is one of the primary domains, um, the features of, of the SWIFT Center. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we certainly have learned, you know, the research tells us that the more families are engaged in schools, the greater the outcomes, uh, academic, behavioral, social outcomes are for all students. So, um, yeah, I can imagine that when schools start to really understand those benefits around student outcomes, they're going to be inviting you and welcoming you into their process. And that's one of the things I really love about the um, the SWIFT Center is, you know, that there's that real understanding that transformation takes everyone to be on board with the transformation. That's for sure. Because, you know, once as the transformation is happening, that's those are the drivers that are going to move the transformation. But in more importantly, um, having those community and family partners will help to sustain that transformation. And we know that uh, many of our schools and school districts are almost um, immune to change because they've experienced change so much. Um, but when you're when you have families and communities behind you as your champions and your ambassadors, that can really make a difference in terms of being able to sustain that change and having individuals who are going to be standing up for the school and standing up for the school district um, and saying this is working and we want to keep doing this. Wow, that is such an important message. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, just 
helping our SWIFT community think about the importance of this, not just around student outcomes, but sustaining that change. I think that's pretty powerful. Um, you have any stories to share about parent engagement and, and how it's making a difference for a, a child or a school? Um, you know, I um, there's uh, one of my passions that has come you know through my experience, my personal experience, but as well as my um, um, my experience in many of the communities that we work in is that um, inclusion really does matter. It really does make a difference. Um, and one of the stories that. Um, happened to me, oh, about 10 years ago, five to 10 years ago, and that I still am really involved in sort of watching how inclusion has really made a difference is uh, around um, a, a child who was in identified as um, having a communication delay and so uh, was fortunate in being able to receive services through a preschool uh, program for um for students with disabilities in their local community and um, was really making, made really great progress in the year and a half or so that she was in that program. And what was really um, interesting about this story is that when it was time for the assignments and placements for kindergarten to happen, that the child was recommended to be placed in a, a segregated setting which was really surprising for me for that something like that happening in 2000. And I know I'm naive, <laughs> but um, it's, it just was surprising that, you know, here we are in, you know, in, in this century. What year was this? And we're still, uh, this would be like 2005. Okay. And so here we are, you know, it's the 21st century and kindergarten and a student is placed in a segregated setting. I mean, one of my um, one of my little sayings is inclusion early and inclusion often. And if we aren't, if kids aren't included early, it typically they're really never included. Right. Um, yeah. You know, sort of officially included. So um, me and the mom went to visit this segregated um, setting, and we were really very. Um, sort of put off by it. Um, it was not the, it didn't have um, developmentally appropriate um, reading materials. The reading materials were of very low quality um, over in, overall. Um, the students, there were a lot of adults in the classroom mm-hmm, and the student, mm-hmm. very little student interaction. It was mostly adult to student interaction. And there just was, this is kindergarten, joy. There should be joy in kindergarten, right? And there was just not a lot of joy. I can imagine the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it was even, I mean, it was even on the lower level of the building. Um, So fortunately, this mom had a twin and we were, and that twin was being, who was in the same program was being recommended for a gen ed class. So we went to visit the gen ed class, which was uh, a joyful place. It was bright with lots of learning going on with students who were, you know, just, you know, talking and really happy about sharing the things that they were learning uh, with word walls and great library materials. And so then the question that the mom asked me when we left was, well, why can't 
they both be in the general ed kindergarten class? <laughs> so that was the question we asked the child study team. And there was some hemming and hawing and, oh, but we love her and we think that she would do so great if we could just have her for one more year. And I think a lot of parents, you know, get that mm-hmm. sense of, you know, these people really like my child and really want to do the best thing for my child. And um, maybe, maybe that's true, but sometimes we need to push those expectations. And so that's what we did. And here we are six years later, and she has been included in gen ed all the way through. And is, you know, there are some places that she struggles, but there are a lot of places that she shines because she's right there with her peers and, and also that she knows that she shines and um, because she's able to demonstrate um, how well she's doing in some areas and then the areas where she needs a little extra help, um, there's supports there for her, but only when she needs it, not just, you know, not all the time supporting her. That, that's a great story. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you realize it, but your voice actually changed when you were talking about um, the the self-contained classroom, it was kind of low. And, and then when you started talking about the kindergarten classroom, it just became full of joy. So, um, you know, that in itself is, I find, interesting. Um, as we, we close our podcast today, I'm wondering if you have any advice that, you know, some top piece of advice that you would want to give to a family who's, 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 exploring educational options for their son or daughter? Um, my main, my, my primary advice to parents is expect the most, to expect the best, to expect the most from our children. Um, because especially from the very beginning, um, to even though there's sometimes going to be messages that come to us about all the things that our child can't do, won't do, will never do. You know, the reality is we really don't know. And if we don't try and if we don't expect a lot and really, you know, push to get um, what our kids need in order for them to reach high um, early, then when we, when our children become adults, and this is something that I am increasingly experiencing with families, is that um, the uh, when you get to the adult, you know, so that transition to adulthood or after graduation, that we then have um, really just limited our children so much that they only see the limits and they don't see those where those expectations can take them and all of the possibilities. Um, reach for the possibilities and. You know, if you don't reach the highest possibility, you're still probably going to end up a lot higher than you thought you were in the beginning. That's fantastic advice. Um, I'd like to be able to point people, point our listeners to your resources. That would be the Statewide Parent Advocacy Network, Inc. And your website is... SpanAdvocacy.org. Everyone got that? Span advocacy.org that's s-p-a-n-a-d-v-o-c-a-c-y.org spanadvocacy.org and mary i'd also like to point them to parentcenterhub.org on span advocacy you will find a lot of resources particularly related to 
the um, laws and regulations in New Jersey um, at parentcenter.org. Um, we have some national resources. You'll find information from the SWIFT Center, as well as a number of national organizations um, and um, national um, research um, areas. So do you know? Do come and take a look, and um, we'd love to hear your comments. I gotta add something. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I um, and. Our um, Parent Training and Information Center is located in New Jersey, and a lot of what I talked about today is the work that we're doing in New Jersey. Um, but every state, and as well as a number of the territories, has a Parent Training and Information Center and or a Community Parent Resource Center. And all of them are doing some fantastic work in many of the, these same areas and also um, in other areas, including juvenile justice and working around uh, child welfare and really assisting and supporting families, as well as being huge resources for schools and school districts and state agencies. And you can find the parent centers in your state at parentcenterhub.org backslash find hyphen your hyphen center. You can find out where the centers are in your state. Uh, I hope that you'll um, reach out to these local partners and um, work together for the kids in your state. Thank you so much, Deborah, for being part of this podcast today. And in closing, we'd like to remind people to go to swiftschools.org where they can uh, find all kinds of resources in English and in Spanish and in uh, a variety of versions, films, podcasts, blog posts, webinars, uh, all resources related to creating equity-based inclusive education. So swiftschools.org. Thank you so much.